0: Uh, it's a joy to be with you here this evening and open God's Word. If you would open your Bibles with me to 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 13. 2 Kings is located after 1 Kings, but if you have a Black Pew Bible in the front see it ahead of you, um, it's going to be on page 231 chapter 5, verse 13. If this is your first time opening a Bible, the big number is the chapter number, and the small number is the verse number. Um, And the verse that we're going to be reading today is is verse 13, but we're going to start reading, actually, from verse 1 so that we can get a little bit of context for the whole uh, story. So open your Bibles to 2 Kings, chapter 5, verse 1. Let me read for us. Naaman, commander of the army for the king of Aram, was a man important to his master and highly regarded because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was a valiant warrior, but he had a skin disease. Aram had gone on raids and brought back from the land of Israel a young girl who served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master with the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his skin disease. So Naaman went and told his master what the girl from the land of Israel had said. Therefore, the king of Aram said, go, and I will send a letter with you to the king of Israel. So he went and took with him 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. He brought the letter to the king of Israel and had it read. When this letter comes to you, note that I have sent you my servant Naaman for you to cure him of his skin disease. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and asked, Am I God, killing and giving life, that this man expects me to cure a man of his skin disease? Recognize that he is only picking a fight with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Have him come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. Then Elisha sent to him a messenger who said, Go wash seven times in the Jordan, and your skin will be restored, and you will be clean. But Naaman got angry and left, saying, I was telling myself he will surely come out, stand, and call on the name of the Lord his God, and wave his hand over the place, and cure the skin disease. Aren't Abana and Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the rivers of Israel? Couldn't wash in them and be clean? So he turned and left in a rage. This is our verse for the evening. But his servants approached and said to him, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more should you do it when he only tells you, wash and be clean? So Naaman went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, according to the command of the man of God. Then his skin was restored, and he became like the skin of a small boy, and he was clean. Thanks be to God. Uh, This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There we go. All right, let's pray. Let me pray for us and then we'll jump in. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for your word. Uh, Thank you for speaking um, to us, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that you would have our hearts be softened. Just like we learned this morning, Uh, there is a reason and purpose that you have brought us every time you bring us before your word. And so uh, we ask, God, that you would speak to our hearts um, through your spirit and through your word. Um, In your son's name we pray. amen. Amen. Have you ever tried driving a car with broken power steering? Um, I have, and it's really difficult to steer. I mean, I, I've driven terrible condition cars all my life, I mean, that's my life right now. Um, it's heavy to steer, it's hard to turn, and you really have to push the wheel to feel like you're actually gonna turn the vehicle. And in ancient Israel, uh, they would also experience broken power steering, but of course, they weren't steering cars, they were steering, steer, they were steering cows, right? They were steering oxen who were plowing the earth, and at times, uh, the oxen would in turn. And the ox was what they would call stiff-necked, and this is a phrase that God uses throughout the Old Testament to describe Israel. Their necks are so stiff, it's it's describing a condition of stubbornness of the heart, where Israel is refusing to um, submit to God, to follow God's word. Um, And so this term stiff necked was used to describe the stubbornness, especially the stubbornness of Israel. And today's passage is about a stubborn, stubborn man who humbled himself and was blessed. And as we consider the stubbornness of this man, Naaman, and his healing and his humbling, uh, we're going to consider how God wants us to overcome the stubbornness that's in our hearts. So the main, uh, the main point of this uh, sermon is humbly embrace God's means of blessing. The main point is humbly embrace God's main, uh, means of blessing. Uh, there's only been one point today, um, and that's it. Humbly embrace God's means of blessing. Let's dig into the story of Naaman. Uh, Naaman, it says in verse one, was a commander of the army of Aram or Syria. Uh, He's a Gentile; he's not part of God's people. But it's interesting. He says that he was even used by the Lord to grant victory to Aram, and he's a valiant warrior. But it says in verse one, he has a skin disease. We don't know what the skin disease is. Um, Some translations say it's leprosy, right? But that's kind of a misnomer. Um, It's just some kind of skin disease that we don't know much about. It could be genetic. Is it bacterial? is it viral who knows but uh, for sure it affected his appearance and we can speculate maybe his skin was red maybe it was bumpy maybe it was itchy maybe it was uncomfortable maybe it was painful Um, we don't know but he had the skin disease and it really affected him and so in verse two, Aram would go on raids, attacking towns, killing, stealing goods, kidnapping. And funny enough, one of their captors, the people that they kidnapped was an Israelite girl. And this Israelite girl became the servant of Naaman's wife. And as this girl is working for Naaman's wife and she's looking at Naaman and is looking at his skin condition, condition the servant girl tells Naaman's wife, if only my master were with the prophet that's in Israel, then he can be healed. So Naaman hears this, and he goes to his master, right? This is the king of Aram, or Syria. And so Aram, yeah, thinks this is a great idea, so he gives him this letter and all of these gifts to take to the king of Israel, basically asking Israel's king to heal Naaman. And if you see, follow with me in verse 7, when Israel's king receives this letter, he freaks out. He is freaked out because he's thinking, does this man think that I am God? This is impossible for me to do. I can't heal this man. This is basically an excuse for this king of Aram to make war with me and with us. In verse eight, the prophet Elijah hears about this and he says, tells the king to send Naaman to him. Um, I'll show you that there's a prophet in Israel, that there's a God in Israel, right? And so Naaman comes to Elijah's door with all his horses and chariots and his gifts. And Elijah doesn't even come to the door. He sends his servant, and he sends him with a message. Go wash seven times in the Jordan River, and you will be clean. And Naaman here, he turns away in a rage because he's so upset, and he's because, it's because he's offended, right? You can imagine what Naaman is thinking. I thought he would come to the door. I thought he would wave his hand over my skin or say something, and he tells me to go wash in this dinky, muddy, dirty Jordan River. Um, This is what he wants me to do? There's huge, beautiful rivers in Damascus that I can wash in. What's the point in washing in the Jordan? If you step outside our doors uh, and you look across the church parking lot, there's a really small patch of grass on the other side. It's actually a park. This is known as Chevron Park. (laughs) Historical Chevron Park. And it's like basically telling someone, go exercise in Chevron Park. And you can imagine how they would feel like, what? I could go to Don Canabi or whatever, you know. I could go to Cerrito Regional Park or Heritage Park, why would I go to Chevron Park? And so Naaman, he turns and he leaves in a rage and Naaman's servants, they come together and they entreat Naaman. And they say to him, my father, If the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more should you do it when he only tells you, wash and be clean? That's verse 13. Um, And the servants are getting at the problem that's in Naaman's heart. And this problem is that he is stubborn and he is prideful. And if you think about who he is, you know, he's a great man. We looked from verse 1 and and following, right? He's important. He's powerful. He's a warrior. He's even used by God in some way. And the king of Aram himself sends him with this personal letter of recommendation um, and all of these extravagant gifts. Can you imagine if the president of the United States himself wrote you a doctor's letter? This is what Naaman had. Although, you know, if the president wrote you a doctor's letter, it wouldn't be meaningful because the president's not a doctor. But anyway, right? Um, This letter even causes Israel's king to um, tear his clothes and... Like, potentially even go to war. Like, nations are misunderstanding and potentially going to war because how they're responding to your doctor's note. That's who Naaman is. And Naaman is thinking, surely they're going to roll out the red carpet for me. They're going to give me the VIP service. You know, send me to Cedar sinai or Kaiser Permanente, right? It's going to be expensive, cutting edge. I'm, I'm expecting a lot. And so he comes to Elijah's house and... um just to make it more interesting, let's say it's on Cornuta, right? He comes to Cornuta, and Elijah doesn't even come to the door. He knocks, nobody answers, never even meets the guy, he sees him, never sees his face. And Elijah just sends his lackey with a message, you know, go do some jumping jacks in Chevron Park, and you'll be fine. And you can, you can tell why he would be upset and why his pride would be wounded. But his servants, they love Naaman, and they're trying to convince him. And they say, if you see in verse 13, my father. And this is not their boss or master only, but they really see him as some kind of um, paternal, even familial father figure. And they say, Father, this is great news. If he had asked you to do something amazing, you would have done it. And how much more when it's something so easy? You know, this Jordan River, it's right here. It's not too far away maybe it's a little muddy, and maybe it's a little small, but, I mean, the water's not fast. It's not going to be dangerous. Did the prophet really say that you can wash and be clean? And so Naaman, he hears this, and how does he respond? He humbles himself. He dips himself in the Jordan River seven times. His skin is restored like the skin of a a child, a young boy, like a baby's skin, and he humbly embraces God's means of blessing, and he's healed. And he's not just healed, but his heart is even transformed. This important man, this one who's the master of these servants, this king's servant, right? He has a humble heart and he gains a new identity. If you see in verse 15, Naaman starts to refer to himself as your servant. He says, I know there's no God in the whole world except in Israel. Therefore, please accept a gift from your servant. Please let your servant be given as much soil as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will no longer offer a burnt offering or sacrifice to any other God but the Lord. And so we see um, from verse 15 and 17 that Naaman takes on a new identity. He becomes, you know, Elisha's servant, he becomes the Lord's servant. Um, and this book, 2 Kings, and this passage, this is written to Jews who are in exile. And you can imagine, what a weird and unsettling, uncomfortable passage this must feel to them as they're reading this. Because the person who's being healed here, this is Naaman, this is the general of the army of Aram, this is Israel's enemy. Um, in chapter 6, the very next chapter of Second Kings, actually Aram will attack Israel and lay siege to Israel. And this little girl who comes to uh, Naaman's wife in, um, in verse 2 and verse 3, this is uh, someone who's been kidnapped by Naaman's army. This is an Israelite girl who's been separated from her parents, presumably, forced into slavery. This is kind of uncomfortable to read. Um, and Jesus highlights this tension. Why Naaman? Um, in verse uh, in Luke 4:27, you don't have to turn there, but read for us. In the prophet Elisha's time, there were many in Israel who had leprosy, and not one of them was healed except Naaman the Syrian. So why Naaman? Why was Naaman healed? Real quickly, two reasons. First, God is teaching Israel that God's grace extends to the nations. But secondly and I think this is more primary, I think God is teaching Israel to reflect on their own stubborn hearts. See Israel was a stiff-necked people that refused to turn their heads to the left or to the right. They stubbornly rejected God's means of blessing again and again and again. And especially, um, you know, this kingdom, Israel in the north, like we learned from um, PJ's sermon in the morning, right? This is the sermon that basically made their own idols, they made their golden calves. Um, and they refused to turn away from idolatry generation after generation, and they eventually brought themselves into exile. And so God, he explains the problem in Deuteronomy thirty eleven. He says, this command I give to you today is certainly not too difficult or beyond your reach, but this message is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. The problem Israel had wasn't that they didn't know what to do, but they just didn't want to do it. And this stubborn pride, this is not just Israel's problem. This is not just Naaman's problem, but it's a human problem. It's, it's your problem, and it's my problem. Um, and if you're not a Christian today, this is also your problem. Um, God is the creator. He made you to know him, to glorify him, and enjoy him for all eternity. But you are a sinner, and a part of what that means is that there's a stubborn pride that rejects God and resists God. And because of that sin, uh, we are utterly undeserving of God's mercy because we're at enmity with God. Um, just like Naaman, this pagan, is an enemy of God. And the consequences of that sin against God is eternity in hell, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth that's much worse than the sufferings of name and skin disease. And yet in his mercy, God has provided you and I the means of blessing in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, died for your sin on the cross, and was raised to life victorious over sin and death. And he offers you not just better skin, but he offers you eternal restoration and life with him. If you would accept his invitation to humble yourself, turn from your sins, and accept him as Savior and Lord. And if you're a Christian, this passage today calls you to embrace the ways that God has appointed to bless you. Um, One of the you know phrases that we refer use to refer to the ways that God has appointed to bless you is the means of grace. The means of grace. Um, this is one definition of the means of grace. Uh, the appointed instruments that the Holy Spirit enables believers to receive Christ and the benefits of redemption. You know what are the means of grace. The Bible, the Bible is the main means of grace that God uses to bless us, to speak to us, and to apply to us redemption. The the Bible preached as it's read, shared, sung, memorized, meditated upon, um, prayer. Prayer is a means of grace, praying personally by yourself or with others, prayers of praise, confession, and thanks. Relationships are a means of grace in the church, fellowship, encouragement, rebuke, uh, mutual discipleship, accountability, gospelizing one another, and even baptism and this communion meal that we will share later today. This is another means of grace. They're physical pictures of the gospel that we know and we share in together. And so as we... I want to, for you to think about the phrase, um, familiarity breeds contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt. It's the idea that once you get to know something really well, there's there's a kind of assumption that you have where you kind of take it for granted. You lose respect for that thing or you become careless in the situation. Basically, oh, I'm so familiar with this, I already know what this is. And we can be tempted to become familiar and look down on the ways that God has appointed to bless us and in a sense become cynical. Um, And so I wanna ask you today, where do you see pride or cynicism in your own heart as you consider the means of grace that God has appointed for you? Um, Maybe with prayer, it's your thought of, prayer is just too hard or prayer is not my thing or I'm not going to get much out of this time in prayer. Um, For church community, maybe it's, you know, how can this brother or sister bless me, or how can I possibly be a blessing to them? Um, And for the Bible, we've all come to the Bible, and at times I've thought, well, I already know this passage. I've already heard this sermon. Um, I'm already familiar with this. And, you know, this is the kind of familiarity-bred contempt that those who rejected Jesus had. Um, in Luke 4, 22 to 28 right, there's um, the people who come to hear Jesus and they're so amazed at who Jesus is and his words. And then they say, well, isn't this Joseph and Mary's boy? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Don't we know who this is? Like, who is this Jesus? Um, and this is the cynicism that we can all be prone and tempted to being familiar with the means of God. Um, but God's word today invites you to humbly receive the means of grace that God has chosen to give to us. And that means, you know, every sermon that you sit before as you're listening to God's word um, to, for you to come humbly and really try to get as much out of it as you can. Um, if sometimes when I'm, sharing my takeaways with another church member or a pastor uh i'm blown away by how much they were able to get away from god's word and it's a rebuke to my soul because you know for me i was like oh this passage this sermon i wasn't really giving my full attention i wasn't giving my full heart and when i listened to this person's takeaway and how much they were able to hear god's voice uh It's a rebuke on me because we heard the same sermon. I was there. They were there. But the difference was the posture of our hearts. Um, This passage invites us to not let pride or any notion of familiarity keep you from Jesus. We know Jesus truly, but we don't know him fully, right? Have I been in the ocean? I've been in the ocean, but... I don't know the ocean and its fullness. I could spend my life diving and submarining and exploring the ocean, but I'll never fully know everything there is to know about the ocean and how much more so with with Jesus. Uh, What a savior Jesus is, the servant who washed the disciples' feet, our King, our friend and our brother, and our Lord and our savior, the one who wept with compassion, and the one who will come to destroy his enemies. Um, He's the one who suffered and died, and he's the one who was raised to life and power. And he's the king of the universe that the nations will worship. Um, There is a bottomless depth to who our Jesus is, and he offers himself to us. And so let's humbly come to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for um, sending your son, Jesus Christ, to come to us. Um, even when we were your enemies, um, just like Naaman. And we pray for humility, um, just like Naaman heeded the call of his servants to humble his heart and submit to your prophet. I pray, Lord, that you would grant us the humility and the grace to humble ourselves before you, before your word and um, receive, Lord, the strength and the encouragement we need and that you're willing to provide for us. Um, so we ask that you would uh, strengthen us in the ways that you have appointed. Uh, give us humble hearts. In just let we pray. Amen. Amen.